Well, hey, good morning. It is so awesome to see everybody out, especially on Memorial Day weekend. Such, so good to see such a great crowd, a lot of people that are away, and I'm just so thankful that you chose to be here with us uh, today as part of this holiday weekend. And uh, I'll say it, say it every summer, and I'll say it again now. I know that summertime comes, and here in New England, we have about three weeks of summer and you know, almost 11 months of winter. Um, so people take advantage of the summertime while it's here. And uh, I'll never guilt you into being here. That's not my style. Go and enjoy yourselves. Get your rest. I know we all need it. It's been a, a, just an intense last couple months, culminating last night with uh, the Franklin Graham crusade. Um, but go and, and get your rest and get rejuvenated. Have your vacation. Be with your family. Just don't forget where you go to church when you come back. Amen. All right? And uh, be here with us. Uh, Last night was, you can turn to Matthew chapter 13 if you, while we're, while we're uh, going th the, through the introduction here. Last night was uh, amazing, and I just want to say um, thank you to our church for the support in every way. We had, we had a lot of people there last night from our church, uh, whole sections. I was getting yelled at from people from our church all over the place, and I was running around. People thought I was important, you know? but uh, uh, it was awesome to, uh, to see people, and and uh, they were, the, the, the Franklin Graham organization was just amazed. They were blown away. They expected about half of what turned out. There were over 6,000 people there. Uh, it was just amazing. It was literally less than standing room only, right? Those of you who were there, it was like, they, they moved us forward. We were in the, in the front where the, you put your seats and they pushed us forward and people were still packed. And it was so crowded. If you've ever seen a Billy Graham crusade or a Franklin Graham crusade, you know that one of the hallmarks of those crusades is the altar call at the end. There were so many people, they could not do an altar call. They had to do it where people were standing in place. And uh, just awesome. And I, I, was, I took the cards up for the people that I spoke with. And uh, the guy I handed mine to had a stack of cards already. So keep praying for them. Uh, the reason that was so successful is not because it's a well-oiled machine. It's because the people of God prayed and prepared uh, Aaron and I were talking this morning a little bit, and it goes right along with what we've been talking about for the last couple months, the uh, last couple weeks, uh, about the soil, uh, the soil of our lives. And uh, last night, the seed was planted. As I drove, I came home, the boys ate, uh, Aaron and the boys went to bed, and I went on my prayer drive. And it was after 11 o'clock, and I was driving around, it was about 10.30, I guess. And I drove through uh, West Springfield, and the buses for the for the team were leaving. And as I drove into West Springfield, it literally started pouring rain. And I thought it was awesome that God held the rain back. But the, 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 the illustration of that is so amazing that we as the body of Christ prayed and prepared the ground. The seed was planted. God planted the seed in the lives of people. And now what we have to do is just what he did to the ground in West Springfield. We have to water that. So keep praying for people, uh, praying for people that you've never met. Maybe you've never met. Maybe you'll never meet. But they accepted Christ last night, people who recommitted their lives to Christ, people who were just energized, churches who needed that, that needed that boost last night to see that God can do something here in the Springfield metro area. Uh, listen, there's, there's some great things going on and uh, some energy that's been being distributed through our area. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for the prayer and the support from this church, 
for that event. And uh, not to sound condescending, but man, I'm so proud of my church. You guys did an awesome job. And uh, we'll just build from here. We've been talking about the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. And we've gone through the first three soils. And those soils um, are soils of people who... um, at some point have rejected or walked away. You know, the first soil uh, we, we, we talked about was a soil of people who have uh, rejected Jesus Christ. They heard the word, they heard the message, but rejected it. Now we continue to try to reach them and we continue to try to lo- love them with the love of Jesus and live that love to them. But uh, they are people who have not accepted Christ yet. Then we went to the next two, the rocky and the, and the thorny. And we talked about uh, those being people within the church who have accepted Christ and started on the journey. We started walking that way. And one thing came up, another thing came up, and we divided them into two. Uh, one was the pressures of uh, the faith, the walk, the way of Jesus Christ, and the pressures that come up and the, the struggles of actually living the faith and the sacrifices that come and the changes that have to be made. Some people, it's just too much for them. And they walk away. And then those who started following Christ and the, the pleasures of life and the desires of life and the aspirations of life and living and success and popularity weighed them down. And they chose to follow the ways of the world rather than follow the ways of Jesus Christ. But now we come to the last soil, the soil, the good ground, the good soil. Let's go ahead and read uh, our text, Matthew 13, beginning at verse 1, and then we'll get into the last, the last soil in this parable. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. Such large, large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down while the whole crowd stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground and produced fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what was sown. Let anyone who has ears listen. Jump down to verse 18. So listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path. And the one sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root and is short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now the one sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the worries of this age and deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But the one sown on the good ground, this is the one who hears and understands the word, who produces fruit and yields some 100, some 60, some 30 times what was sown. This afternoon after our morning service, we're having our new members class. And um, I wanted Aaron to explain a little bit more about that. It's not for people who have joined. It's for people who are uh, considering joining. Maybe you've been coming to New Life for a while and you like what you see, but you're just not quite sure. And you want to make a commitment. You want to get more involved, but you want to know a little bit more. That's what this class is all about. If you've joined the church and you don't really, you know something about New Life, but you want to know more, you're welcome to be there too. We're going to be talking about our, uh, our statement of faith, what we believe 
what we believe about salvation, what we believe about baptism, what we believe about church membership. We're going to be talking about our philosophy of ministry. We're, we are what is called a progressive church, a progressive-minded church. It's not because of the style of music we play. It's not because of the fact that we dress casually. It's not because of the fact that we allow you to bring your coffee in, like that's some major event in life, right? It's simply because of this. We take a very progressive mentality when it comes to reaching our community. We take a very progressive mentality in our philosophy of ministry. That's what gives you that progressive mentality. That's where we come from. We're not, in the old days, people would say that we're liberal. We're not liberal. We are believers, a church that believes we need to do whatever it takes to reach people with the gospel of Christ. And that's what we'll talk about. Why did I give another plug for the new members class? And you're welcome. If you didn't sign up, you're welcome to stay. If, we, if there's not enough food for everybody, we'll order more pizza. We'll order pizza. That's fine. We just love, I just love talking with people anyway. But you're more than welcome to be there. The reason I said that is because those who want to learn more are people whose hearts at this moment are good ground. Maybe you remember already and you're growing your faith, but every morning you wake up desiring to learn more about your faith, desiring to draw closer to Jesus Christ. That means your soil, the heart of your the soil of your heart is good ground. That's the kind of people we're talking about today. So far we've investigated the first three soils that Jesus taught about in this parable. We've seen who these people are. We've seen what their issue is and how we can reach them. By the way, next week we start a brand new series in our, under our theme of Each One Reach One. How many of you have ever wore a, a wristband that said WWJD? Or you had a, a bumper sticker on your car that said WWJD, right? Well, we're going to do a little bit of different take on that. Because we can stand around and talk all we want about what would Jesus do. What we're going to be looking at in terms of evangelism and discipleship, WDJD. What did Jesus do? Because see, we talk about the possibility all we want. But what we need to really put into action in our lives are the things that Jesus did in ministry, okay? And the things that he led his disciples and his followers to do. So that's where we're going. It's important to remember when we talk about people, all four soils, even the good soil that we're talking about today, it's, it's important to remember that all these people, we're all broken in some way. We're all broken, every one of us. We're all broken in some way. We've all had trials. We've all had difficulties. And those difficulties have contributed to making us who we are. But those same trials and difficulties in life have left their mark. Some have even left scars on our lives. And in some cases, they've developed in us, and, and we've allowed them to develop in us, some dysfunctional attitudes and behaviors that need to change. Jesus said that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not be able to stand against it. That statement was not conditional. And understand this, when Jesus said in Matthew, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be, be able to stand against it, that was not conditional and there was no expiration date on that promise. He didn't say, I'll build my church until the beginning of the 10th century. I'll build my church until the, the end of Jonathan Edwards' ministry. I will build my church until... Uh, May 25th, 2019, and then that's it. Jesus said, I will build my church until the time that it is no longer needed to build my church. There's no expiration date on that. We need to understand that. 
Jesus wants to take your difficulties. He wants to take your scars. He wants to take the dysfunction. And I know that that might hit too close to some of us, and some of us might not want to might not want to admit that we have some dysfunctional attitudes in our lives. But let me tell you, the first, they say it in, in recovery all the time, right? The first step to fixing your problem is admitting that you have one. I've, I'll tell you, at, I'll be 57 at the end of this year. And as I go deeper in study, as I read more, as I pray more, and I look at my life, and I look at the, I, I you know what, maybe, maybe you're like this. I learn more about myself by the way I respond to issues. Or maybe I should say this, by the way I react to issues. Sometimes I react in a way that isn't the way I should. And I, I walk, I have to apologize, I have to get myself together after it uh, and get right with God. But then I, I ask God, why, what, is, what is broken inside of me that caused me to react that way? I want to know. Because I don't want it to be broken anymore. I want it to be fixed. It's important that we understand that we're all broken in some way. We all have some level of dysfunction in our life. We all have some level of scars or struggle or wounds that need to be healed. I said all that to say this. You can still be a good ground Christian even though you have scars. You can still be a good ground Christian even though you have dysfunction in your life. You can still be a good ground Christian even though you have difficulties. You have struggles in your home. You have struggles at work. You have struggles with your attitude. You have struggles with your marriage. Whatever the situation is in your life, you can still be a good ground Christian. It's all about the attitude with which you face your walk with Jesus Christ. Jesus, the reason Jesus told us that he would build his church as a successful, powerful, overcoming entity in this world is because his church, which is manifested a couple different ways, manifested as a universal body. Those of us who were there last night and those of you who prayed for the, the event last night, we understand that as being a manifestation of the universal body of the church, okay? The universal body of believers, because as a, as a church, as the bride of Christ, we prayed and that event took place last night. So it's manifested as a universal body, but it's lived out as local bodies, local churches. We are very, one thing you'll realize if you do come to the new members class or if you spend any time here, if you continue to come to New Life, you'll find that we are a local church. We are a local church. I believe you think globally, but you act locally, okay? We, we are all about affecting our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Springfield, let's be honest, the Springfield metro area has been neglected for too long. And it's time that we start acting locally. And that is manifested by the local bodies of believers. Now, the local body and the and the universal body of the universal church is the, is what he has used what he has chosen to not only evangelize the world but also build and grow and heal his people the first thing that happens with many people when difficulties come in life is they stop coming to church because it's easy to stop coming to church you can if you listen if you don't show, I know this, this sounds overly simplistic, but if you're not here on Sunday morning, you don't have to explain anything to anybody because you're not here. 
If you're not here on Sunday morning, you don't have to deal with hearing a message that may make you feel like um, worse than what you feel already, right? You may not, if you're not here, you don't have to deal with the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit on your life. If you're not here, you don't have to deal with questions from people asking you how you are. Isn't that the most annoying question you get sometimes? Having a, ho- a horrible day, a lousy day. How you doing? Well, I've had a choice here. I can either tell people the truth and probably ruin relationships that I've had for my life. Or I can lie. Oh, I'm doing great. Wonderful. Everything's peachy. Right? So if you don't come to church, those are things you can avoid. But what we need to understand is when we're going through the difficulties of life, when we're struggling with life, when we're, when we're dealing with the scars, when we're dealing with the wounds, when we're dealing with the dysfunction, church is exactly where we need to be. Around other believers, around other people who are seeking Jesus Christ, around other broken people who realize that they're broken too and together we can help each other out. Because God is manifest through his local church, his body of believers who are pursuing him. Now we've talked about the church and we've seen that our purpose in the Great Commission is to make disciples, to equip and train believers, to provide opportunities to connect with those outside of faith and to support our members in all phases of faith and growth. And now we come to the last soil, the good soil. And this is where we should all desire to be. And once again, let me, I can't, I can't say this enough. You do not have to be perfect You do not have to have a Bible college degree. You do not have to be uh, a, a visible, lifted up leader in the church to be good soil. You simply need to be someone who is pursuing Jesus Christ actively. Someone who is trying their best to overcome the sin, the difficulties, the struggles of life, and daily take up their cross and follow Jesus Christ. Someone who is trying today to be a better follower of Jesus than they were yesterday. In other words, to be a good soil Christian means that you haven't given up yet. Remember the line from Rocky? I'm sure Tiffany could say it. It doesn't, I forget which Rocky movie it was, but um, it doesn't matter how many times you get knocked down. It matters how many times you get back up. Right? This is the last one. It matters how many times you get back up. That's what matters. And in your walk with Jesus Christ, one of the things Aaron, Aaron uh, was able to deal with, a 13-year-old girl last night, and uh, she, ta- she talked to her. At, at the end of it, she told me, she said, John, I told her that now the tough part comes, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing what she said, because Satan is going to try to attack you. He's going, not going to try. He's going to attack you now, and it's going to be difficult. And when someone accepts Christ, sometimes that is when the most intensive attacks come. You begin to doubt. You begin to look at what you said and what you did and the commitment you made. It's like, oh my gosh, really? Is that really, is, can I really trust and believe that? Because remember, these are new believers in Christ. And we don't make it much easier as Christians because we start loading on them all this kind of stuff that they need. And they walk away with, you know, 17 books by Charles Spurgeon and... Uh, this is what you need to know and we start giving them all the download of Jonathan Edwards sinners in the hands of an angry God and this is what you need. Man, we just love on them a little bit and, and uh, care for them like you would your little baby. I was, as I was coming through, uh, I like to look in the nursery because my grandson is in there, right? 
And Jack hasn't really taken to me too much yet. He's very much, he loves his mom and dad, and I love that. I don't take that personally, um, because I know in a couple years, Poppy is going to be spoiling this kid rotten. And uh, yeah, we're going to be, he, he's going he's to love me, man. We're going to be doing all kinds of stuff together. Mom and dad are going to hate me, but that's going to be good times. And Poppy and Pippi are going to be taking him, and he's going to be eating ice cream. Uh, it's going to be great. Anyway, don't get distracted. But as I was walking down, I just looked in, and I saw my grandson, Jack. And he was crying, because you could see Mommy and Daddy on the screen. And my heart just kind of melted. And he was on his, uh, his cousin Sarah's lap. And I just walked, and he just looked at me, and he had these big sad eyes and he just looked at me, and I said, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. So I walked in. I said, how you doing, Jackie boy? And I rubbed his head. I started rubbing his hand. And Jack reached up, and he took my finger. And he held my finger. And he held on tight. I said, man, it's the first time this ever happened. And I was able to help my grandson get through a kind of difficult time on a Sunday morning while mommy and daddy weren't able to be there for him. And as I was thinking about that, I thought about the way we deal with young Christians. They get saved, they accept Christ, and the, the troubles and the struggles and the trials come. And we don't need to be laying on top of them with all kinds of rules and regulations. And when we have Christians who are struggling in the way, and they are people who are in danger of being rocky soil Christians and are in danger of being uh, thorny soil Christians and they're ready to give up. We don't need to tell them how bad they are. We don't need to load on them all this responsibility. What we need to do is put our hand out and let them grab our finger and hold on tight because that's what they need at that moment. You see, being a good soil Christian is not about winning every sword drill there is. It's not being able to quote every Bible verse you've ever heard. It's about getting up more times than you get knocked down and continuing to move forward. So as we look at this, let's approach this good soil and see ourselves in this and realize that these people, us, we, are people that struggle in life. We're people that have difficulties in life. But there is never a difficulty, there is never a temptation, there is never a trial in our lives that should cause us to give up and walk away. There is always a way to overcome. And we as a church, even though we're broken and dealing with our own brokenness, our own scars, our own struggles, are still, are still responsible to be there, to reach out a hand of hope and a hand of help to help people through these because the last thing we want to do is lose those who began the journey with Jesus Christ. What we need to do and what we should want to do is teach and learn the truth of Mark 8, 35 and 36. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? When people walk away, we might lose somebody in the church, but they lose a whole lot more. 
And that's what we need to understand. So let's look at this good soil, these good soil people, and, and see some things about them. Now, who are these people? These are people who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they've bought into his plan all the way. They've bought into his plan. They've started coming to church. They've started learning. And they've started uh, getting involved, maybe, and, and, or even th or, or thought about getting involved. Maybe you're a new believer. Maybe you're a new attender. Maybe you've come back to faith, and you've thought about this new members class, and this, this is going to be your first step in your, in your commitment as a member of new life, as a new lifer. That's who these people are. Or they're people, people who have followed Jesus Christ. They've accepted him and they've followed him. And, and we've learned the lessons and we've overcome. And we continue to move forward. But no matter how far along you are, no matter how mature you think you are, there is always the danger of becoming a rocky soil or a thorny soil Christian. Because there is, many of us are one argument away from giving up no matter how mature and how experienced you are in your walk with Christ. Many of us are just one uh, temptation away because life gets tough. It's been, I mean, we talked to several people, uh, talked to many people. I mean, I don't know everybody's life and what's going on. I know in my home, the last three months have been just breakneck nonstop going and going and going. And I would just like to, on Memorial Day, sit. <laughs> just sit. Anybody else feeling that? Man, I'd love to. I'd love to just sit. Uh, probably won't. But, because uh, Six Flags is open. And the boys want to go to Six Flags, so I'll probably hang out at Six Flags. But, uh, which isn't a bad thing. I'm the purse guy. Anybody else the purse guy? <laughs> if you go on a ride, I'll hold, you can... Sit your purse next to me. Nobody's going to steal it from me. I look like I stole it and begin with. Right? Seriously. Uh, but uh, it'd be nice to have some, some downtime. And those are the times when struggles come and, and we can, we're most vulnerable. So we need to be able to recognize those and, and, uh, and take care of the matter. But why are these people mentioned in this parable? You know, the first three are people who have either rejected or walked away. So why are these people mentioned? Because they're profitable to the kingdom and beneficial to the local church. Good soil people, this is what we build the church on. These are the people that are responsible for building the church, building the kingdom. That's why they're mentioned here. <laughs> now, with the first three, we said, how do we reach them? But when it comes to good soil people, we ask this question, how do we use them? How do we use them? So that's what we're going to spend our time on for the most part this morning. How do we use good soil people? And let's turn it, turn it on ourselves. And we're saying collectively, how do we use good soil people? But let's look at ourselves and say, how should I be looking to be used? How can I grow myself and become more beneficial to the kingdom of God by using and by being used and serving in my local church? What should I actively be doing? What things should I actually act actively being applied, uh, applying to my life so that I can be beneficial and profitable? The first thing is you need to think that way. 
Keep that mindset because that, that keeps you in the good soil business. That keeps you fresh. That keeps you thinking, all right, I can do this. I can grow. There's, there's area for me to expand and grow. So what we, how, how can we use them? The first thing that we can do is this, exactly what I just did. Remind them of the commitment. Remind them of co- the commitment. The greatest, and what that is, is encouragement. Remind them of the commitment. Remind them of the fact that they've given so much already. I think it was Dottie Rambo, uh, old songwriter, Southern Gospel songwriter, wrote a song and it said, uh, there's too much to gain to lose. There's too much to gain to lose. There's too many, uh, there's just, uh, there's too much that I've already invested to give up on now. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of the commitment. In Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25, Jesus said this to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to lose his life Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it, much like what he said in Mark chapter 8. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of the fact that, yes, giving up and walking away is a selfish act. And yes, you may be finding your own way, and you may be finding your own voice, and you may be finding your own life, but what you're doing is turning your back on the will and the plan and the purpose of God for you. And you're pursuing your own things and you're doing it. Sometimes we have people say, you know what? I just don't agree with that, so I'm going to do it my way. My church is going to be bedside Baptist. It's okay. I don't need to. I don't need organized religion. And that's not what this is, by the way. This isn't an organized religion. This is a local body of believers. People say, I don't need a church because I'm spiritual, because I can study on my own. And that's not the way God designed it. It's not the way Jesus set it up. So we need to be reminded of the fact that the commitment you made to Jesus Christ, yes, it secured your your space in eternity. It secured your life with him. But the commitment you made to follow him is about his kingdom, not about you. It's not about you. Many of you have read the book, The Purpose Driven Life. That's the very first line in The Purpose Driven Life. It's not about you. And we need to remember that. When we start getting selfish, when we start saying, I want this my way, I want to do, they don't do it my way. And you know what? I could be so much more, I I could have life so much easier if I just do this and drop out of this in church and, and not, and you know what? Man, I just don't agree with everything they're doing there. So I'm going to go find a church that I agree with 100%. And when you start doing that, you don't find a church because you just don't agree. It might shock you to know that I don't agree with everything 100% here. And I'm the guy that runs the place. Right? I don't agree with myself many times. Those are great conversations to have. You know, the Bluetooth is a beautiful thing because you can have what used to be an insane conversation with yourself. Am I right? You can have a conversation that, that 20 years ago would make you look like a flaming lunatic. And people just think you're on the phone with somebody. Like, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'm okay, really. No problem. No problem. 
But we need to remind people of the commitment, remind them of what they've given their life to, and remind them of what this is all about. The second thing we need to do is support them with love and friendship. Support them with love and friendship. I read an article by a pastor. He, he, he got up before his congregation just recently, and he had two letters, and he read two letters to him. And the first one was from a family who moved away from their church. They, they moved to a different, uh, different state, and they were looking for a church. And she said, Pastor, we miss you all so much. We were trying to find a church here, but wherever we go, nobody talks to us. And we just don't find a church that is friendly. We miss our church. We miss our friends because our church is so friendly and so loving and so welcoming. And people were, I mean, that's a good letter to hear about your church, right? People that moved away, they miss us. Then he read the second letter. And it said, dear pastor, I visited your church last Sunday. Nobody said hello to me. Nobody shook my hand. Nobody greeted me at all. I will never visit your church again. That's a true story. Two letters came to his office the same day saying exactly the opposite. What happens in church is we become, we, we become exclusive. We become cliquish. And we start to see people. Listen, don't ever be offended if I come up to you and introduce myself like I did to this, this couple. First of all, I've lost half of my mind, okay? I, don't, I do not remember names. I'm pretty good with faces, but I, I, was, I copied Morse code when I was in the Army. And my dad did it in the Navy for, he did it for 20 years. I did it for four. But obviously, the Navy, the Army is more intense because it took more of my brain away, okay? Um, and I, I really struggle remembering people's names. My wife is, is very good with me on that. So please don't ever be offended if I don't remember your name because I don't remember my name half the time. Uh, but I also never want somebody to think that, well, you know what, he's moving on to somebody else because he's already said hello to us once. I always want to greet people. I, I want that to be the hallmark of new life. One of the most, the most important thing to me is that when people come into our church, they feel like, maybe not like they've been here before, but like they're definitely welcome to be here. You can take your shoes off and put your feet up because it feels like home. And you may not choose to attend new life as your home church, but you always have that in your mind that that was a place where I felt welcome. And that goes for people who have been here before, people who have been here for a long time, people who have been in our church. Sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes we take each other for granted. We look around and we say, yeah, they're going to be there in that seat. That seat's going to be filled. That seat's going to be filled. That role is going to be filled. Those people are going to be, that person is going to take that donut. And, you know, we, we know, we, we begin to take each other for granted. And we don't really connect anymore on that level that gets beyond the surface. And that support for each other is no longer there. Listen, I'm telling you folks, when we start when we stop welcoming, when we stop supporting, and we stop encouraging, all we're doing is pushing people closer to the category of being thorny ground or rocky soil people. Truly. So when it comes to 
good soil people, we remind them of their commitment, but we support them with love and friendship. 1 Peter 4, verses 8 and 9. Above all, maintain constant love for one another. Maintain constant love for one another. Since love covers a multitude of sins. I love, I love all five of my children. Love them all. I love the two that live in my house right now. Love them to death. Love those boys, but they're just like any other seven-year-old boys. They can drive you insane. And they can push every button in my life. And they usually do. They get up, if they get up by 7, by 7.15, there is one button left to push. And it's like their finger is hovering over it with that evil look on their face. Yep, get ready, Daddy. Right? Drive me crazy. But I'll tell you what, I'd never stop loving them for it. I'll never stop loving them for it. In fact, after I correct them and after I get them off to school, I kind of chuckle to myself like, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> They're boys. Good stuff. We should never get to the point where we allow people to push us so far away and divide with us so much that we end up pushing them away. No matter what they do, the love of Jesus in your life covers anything you do, forgives any sin that you can commit, restores any break that you make, and we are supposed to model the love of Jesus Christ for others. Therefore, when it comes to our church family, there should not be anything that causes us not to love each other. Breaks may happen. We're human. Breaks may happen, but we should always love each other because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospital to one another without complaining. The third thing I believe that we need to do is this. After we've encouraged and after we've supported, we need to challenge Challenge them with ministry opportunities. We need to challenge you with ministry opportunities. We need to challenge each other with ministry opportunities. We, you know, like I said, this, this, uh, this new members class will give you a, an understanding of our philosophy and how we work here and what it is that we put into practice. We're not like a lot of other churches. We don't have a lot of programs going on because I want, I, I want our church to be focused on... Um, self-spiritual growth and outreach. So discipleship and outreach. That if, if, if we don't have, if it doesn't fit that criteria, then we don't generally do it. Because it's about, for us, it's about growing ourselves and building the kingdom. And I love when Brian came up with the idea to Zach about a car show. I'm like, well, yeah. Yeah. That brings a whole different dynamic of people to our church than a tag sale would. You don't generally look for a new carburetor at a tag sale, right? So it's an opportunity to bring a whole different group of people, and that's what we want. See, it's all about your purpose in, in my mind. So we should challenge them with ministry opportunities. And as, we, as people grow and as people commit, 
We challenged them with more opportunities, different opportunities. I was so proud last Sunday when uh, uh, Bob's not here, so I'm going to introduce Jeremy. Would you stand up, Jeremy? Uh, this is Jeremy Lemon. He's one of our brand new deacons. He was voted in last week by the, uh, by the, the membership. Jeremy is over our facilities management and maintenance. One thing you may not know about Jeremy is he's my nephew, and I'm incredibly proud of Jeremy Lemon. He's my, my, uh, my parents' grandson. And if you didn't know that, you didn't figure that out. Um, Jeremy was born into this church and has been here for the 40-some years that he's been alive. He's been here on and off here at different times. I'll tell you what, it's been awesome to watch Jeremy commit and grow. And I prayed a lot about who to fill that role with, and the Holy Spirit just kept bringing Jeremy back to my mind. And it, it was like you saying, okay, John, it's time. It's time for that, not this young man, it's time for this man of God to be challenged with a new level of ministry. And so far, he's been up to the challenge. And if he doesn't, see, Jeremy's, there's, a, there's a, an ace card I have over Jeremy. Because if Jeremy screws up, I'm not going after him. My dad's not going after him. My mom. <laughs> Am I right, Jeremy? My mom is going, and she won't beat him with a, like a, a rolling pin. She'll just look at him. Because moms have, my mom has that guilt stare that every mom develops over time. Seriously. But that's, what, that's our responsibility. As we see people commit and as we see them grow and as we see them get involved in ministry and we see them produce and, and continue to evolve in their faith and grow in their faith, we need to challenge them. And we want to challenge you to get involved more, to go beyond what you're comfortable doing so that you can grow. So we challenge them. Philippians 2.12, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation. If you're in trouble, we're covering that verse in our Bible study on Wednesday nights right now. To work out your salvation. That's our responsibility as a church, to give people the opportunity to work out their salvation, to find out how it works in their lives, and find out what will help them grow and how they grow best. A lot of us grow in different ways and, and different times of day that we have our devotions and, and different things that we can throw ourselves into because God has given us a passion for different areas of life and ministry. So it's our responsibility as a church to open up those doors because God created creativity and God is the most creative being there is. And we need to allow people to be creative in ministry. The fourth thing we need to do is this. We need to never stop discipling them. Never stop discipling. We're working on a new discipleship program. It's going to be more user-friendly, I think, and it's going to come in, in sections. But we're going to continue and add to our discipleship program for people who go through the, the first four stages and and then add Bible studies, because Bible studies are part of discipleship. Part, Bible studies are part of the discipleship program. And we want to open up opportunities of ministry. One of the things we're exploring right now is doing a, an online discipleship. And uh, coming soon will be uh, like five-minute devotions on, on Facebook a couple times a week. 
Uh, we're going to see how that, see, see the kind of response we have for that. Because I believe it's, more, it's, it's incredibly important that we stay connected throughout the week. Because I said it last week, we spend 99% of our time outside of church. And that's if we spend two hours on Sunday in church. So it's our responsibility as a church to give opportunities for people to connect with their faith and grow in their faith and continue to be discipled throughout the week. Hebrews 6.1 says, Therefore let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity. We need to leave the basics. We need to leave the milk and desire to grow to maturity. One thing Zach and I have been talking about is the next step. If, if you've been down and seen our children's ministry, you'll know that in th- between three to five years, we're going to have a pretty big youth ministry. It's, we're going to have a, a large youth ministry in just a few years. And we're foolish if we don't start preparing right now to get ready for it. So we've been talking about things. How do we, uh, how do we prepare? What, what are we going to put in place? How are we going to graduate it? Because a lot of these kids are going to come in as junior hires, which is like the bane of humanity, junior high kids. And, right? But then they're going to go, so you're going to have to have in place somebody who likes junior hires. Um, Mike. Uh, but we're going to have to have a, a plan in place so that we can meet the needs of our teenagers while meeting the needs of their families and helping their families get through that time and continue to connect them by discipling and teaching them about faith. And as we continue to see them grow and as we see the words of Jesus, they're good soil and they grow and mature and they produce fruit as we continue to see people grow, as I continue to see you grow in your faith, it's my responsibility, it's the church's responsibility, it's each of us as members of the church's responsibility to give them leadership responsibilities and encourage them to lead. The other deacon we elected last week was Bob Fisher. He normally plays the piano for us. Uh, Bob is, has to work uh, about once every six Sundays. He has to work. So Bob's not here today. But Bob and Jeremy share something in common. They're both um, 40 and under in that general age range. And I realized that as I look around, there's not a lot of people in the congregation that look like me. Right? You don't look like, right? Am I right, Mike? Yeah. Mike doesn't even look like me. Brian now. Right? One day I'll look like Brian. Um, but you're very, we have a very young church. And it's important, I believe, for us to connect your generation with leadership in our church and encourage them to lead. I, I don't jo- I'm not kidding when I talk about um, needing an interpreter in some areas. When it comes to, you know, Jonathan will talk to me about things with the technical issues and like, yes, I, if you say you need to do it, then do it. I... How do I turn on my phone? I told you the story when I first got my first iPhone, right? Dom and I were working at, uh, at a, you remember, Dom's laughing at me. We were working at Texas Roadhouse, and I came in with an iPhone. Just got a brand new iPhone. I thought it was so cool. I could not open the thing. <laughs> I'm looking at it. What in the world? I get a phone call. I can't answer it. 
So I walk in, Zach was there, was working, but I went over to Dom because my son, Zach, usually has, he has, a, he has an incredible way of making me feel stupid over something really easy, and he does it on purpose, right? So I walked up to Dom, I, he said, how do you like your new phone? I said, I guess it's, if I could use it, I'd love it, I'm sure. And I said, I, it won't open for me. And Dom, very nice guy, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet is Dom Savio. Dom looked at me, and he put his finger on the screen and went, swipe. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'll take my, is that all? I'll take my phone now. That's, that's my level of expertise when it comes to technology. I, I mean, now I've got the phone that has the facial recognition. My, uh, took me a long time to realize to hold it and you know, I'm holding it, I'm at the store playing with Apple Pay and I'm putting my face down like this. I didn't realize I could put it, anyway, anyway. Thanks, Dom. Hey, Dom, he's dying back there. Thanks, Dom. Just bury me now, okay? Morse code, eh? <laughs> Shut up, Brian. That was back in the Pony Express days, too, so. But we need to give them responsibilities and leadership responsibilities and give them the encouragement to lead. Why? Because the next generation needs to be able to take over. You need to be able to grow in your faith. And the more connected, the, the more responsibility you are, you have, and the more responsibility you take, the more connected you are. And that's how we build our church, and that's how we build the kingdom. First, first Peter 4, verses 10 and 11. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks... Let it be as one who speaks God's word. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ and everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And lastly, how do we use good soil, good ground Christians? We teach them how to win people to Christ and make new disciples. Well, wait a minute. Isn't how, that, how the whole process started? Exactly. Because discipleship is a circle of life. Discipleship is a circle of life. I'm going I'm to tell on Laura here for a minute. If you're Laura's friend on Facebook, read one of the most beautiful posts I've ever read in my life this morning. Laura was at, at uh, Franklin Graham last night. Laura's got 17 children. <laughs> She's got, she's, Laura's got, she's got five kids, and Rolla's boy was there last night. And they were sitting up in the stands, up in the New Life section, with Jimmy and Jess. And her son listened to that message. And he listened intently. And that boy, whose, whose parents bring him to church, whose church invests in him, every week that he's here. That boy stood up when Franklin Graham said, stand up if you want to ask Jesus into your heart. And that boy accepted Jesus as his savior. And his mom cried. And he cried. And it was amazing. You see, no matter how well-oiled a church gets, 
no matter how much leadership we have in place, no matter how many systems we have in place, no matter how slick a program we put on, no matter how much we do to make us look like we are getting the job done, it all comes down to this. Teaching people how to win others to Christ and discipling them in their faith. Listen, you may, you may look at those who are up on stage and say, I wish I could sing. I wish I could play. I wish I could do this. You may look at the children's mass. I wish I could teach. I wish I could do this. I wish I could build. I, could wish, I wish I could do that. I wish I could preach. I, can I tell you what I think the most important, if I, if I had to list in order the most important ministry that our church has, it would be this, discipling others in their faith. Sitting down one-on-one or one-on-two and telling people, how to grow in their faith, how to live their faith, how to put into action the things that the Bible tells us to put into action. Why? Because that's how we grow past the thorny soil. That's how we grow through the rocky soil. And that's how we become the good soil. And when we are the good soil, we produce fruit. Some 30, some 60, and some 90 times, depending on the blessings of God. What soil are you? Some of you right now might be struggling. I get it. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't become the rocky soil. Don't give in to the thorny soil. Push through it. Push through it. Maybe we, let's, let's, I'll, I'll take ownership of this. Maybe we haven't done a great job connecting with you. Come to me and tell me, and I'll do my dead level best to connect you in this church so that we can get you through the tough times. We've all been there. We've all been there. And what we want is to see our people become fruitful and grow in faith. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here in your house today. Lord, thank you for so many that came out on a holiday weekend to come and and, uh, worship and listen to your word. God, I pray that we will take the truths of your word and apply them to our lives and become something greater than we were yesterday. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to ask a quick question so I can pray effectively for you. As we've gone through this... this, uh, this series on the soils. Maybe you've seen yourself. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you know you need to take the next step. Maybe you know that, that um, you're primed and ready to move forward, but you're just not sure how to do that, and you're praying about how to connect. Maybe you're even praying about making a deeper commitment here at New Life. This, this doesn't obligate you to anything. I don't want you to think that. I just want to pray for you. And I wonder if you'd raise your hand and say, Pastor John, would you pray for me in in this season of my life right now where I'm at? Thank you for that honesty already. Because I am am really praying about making a commitment and and taking the next step and knowing I need, thank you so much for those hands. I know I need to make, take that next step. And I believe I'm ready and I just need to know how. Thank you so much for all those honest hands. I commit to you, I'll pray for you. And I'm here to help you and connect you with someone that can 
bring you through and get you to that next level. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Lord, I pray that you'll dismiss us here this morning with your blessing. May we go forward as servants, as warriors, as worshipers, taking to this world the light of your gospel. In your precious name we pray. Amen.